titles tonight, and um, this is going to be a tall chore for me, so if you're looking at your notes tonight, uh, there, are, there is quite a bit. So I'm going to kind of keep moving tonight, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really test those that are in the media room back here, and I know they're going to do a great job, but we're continuing down the road, so to speak, on Route 66, just traveling through all 66 books of the Bible, and we begin in the New Testament, and here we are after going through the gospel records, moving into what we call the church epistles. And tonight, we're actually going to try to cover two of those. We're going to look at the book of Galatians, and then we're going to follow the next book in the Bible, which is the book of Ephesians. So as we look at these, many times the word epistle is used. Remember, epistle is just another word for letter. Uh, Many times we call these books because that's kind of what they are to us as we look at the scriptures. But look, I want to make sure you get a hold of these these basic principles of both of these books. I think it'll be a help to you as you're reading and studying your Bible. Now, there is a handout that I've also included that has on the front of it a little bit about the book of Galatians and the back side of it has something about the book of Ephesians. We're going to come back to that. So just hang on to that, and I'll reference that in just a moment, all right? So let's dive into this tonight. The book of Galatians, I've entitled The Book of Christian Liberty. I hope you understand this matter of liberty, that, and I'm going to talk about this as we cover this book tonight. But notice the name of the book of Galatians. It actually gets its name for those, and, and I'm using biblical words here, those foolish Galatians to whom Paul was writing. Now, the word foolish that we see in the Bible, it's in chapter number three, is actually a word that means unintelligent. It means that they are sensual, meaning fleshly, and that they are unwise, okay? So Paul is writing to them. Notice here in Galatians 1, in verses 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle, notice, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ. So he, right off the bat, Paul is saying here, Look, I am an apostle, not because somebody appointed me to be one. This is God's will, God's call for my life. Now, let's read on in verse 1 and 2. He says, God who raised him from the dead, uh, talking about Jesus Christ. And notice, and all the brethren, saved people, which are with me. Notice these words, unto the churches. Everybody see that word's plural? Churches of Galatia. Notice it didn't say church in Galatia. It says churches of Galatia. And then in chapter 3 and verse number 1, he sa- he, here's the word. O foolish Galatians, he says, who hath bewitched you that ye should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth, crucified among you. So the reason that he says that they are foolish, they are unwise, they're unintelligent, is because it says here in chapter 3, verse 1, that they are not obeying the truth. Now, folks, look, look at me tonight. This is the truth. God's word is the truth. And the Bible is what our lives should be guided by. And something had happened to those believers in Galatia, and they were not following the truth. They were not obeying the truth. And here God allows Paul to write this letter to them to help them understand where they have gone wrong, where they've got away, they've got off track in their lives, 
and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. Now, Paul visited the churches, just like we read here a minute ago, the churches of Galatia on each of his three missionary journeys. Now, uh, Brother Greg, I think I have a map there. Do I have a map? There you go. Now, look at this map for just a second. Do you notice there, of course, you can see the red line. Notice the pink area off to the side. It says there, notice the word Antioch. Now, remember, Jerusalem was the initial hub of where the gospel went out. But remember that the church in Antioch, Acts chapter 13, was the great sending church, the missionary church, where Paul and Barnabas and others were sent out from that church in Antioch. Notice as Paul traveled, of course, he had many missionary journeys, but notice that this particular journey takes him up into the green area that is known as Galatia, all right? Now, there's an area known as Asia, Galatia, Cappadocia, Cilicia. These are all areas that, that you read about in the Word of God. Notice even the word Pamphylia right below Galatia there, the one that's kind of a blue shade. Now, notice as you look in Galatia that, that it mentions that there are churches there. And notice Lystra is there, Derby was there, Iconium was there. And there's also an Antioch. Now, that Antioch that is there is Antioch of Pisidia. It's different than the Antioch in Acts 13 that sent them out. You see there's two of them there. So that the reason I put that map up, number one, is geographically so you can understand where Galatia was in the time of the Apostle Paul as he traveled around, but also notice the churches, okay? So for instance, tonight we are Bible Baptist Church, but Paul is writing to the brethren in the churches of Galatia. So he's not just writing to one church, he's writing to many churches in this region known as Galatia. Now, notice in your notes here that Galatia actually derives its name from the Gallic people, which are, and now I've asked, I even asked Brother Kenny and Miss Becky, I said, how do you say C-E-L-T-I-C? And it's funny because some people say Celtic and other people say Celtic. If you're talking about the basketball team, it's the Boston Celtics. Uh, so it's kind of funny. I think it, it depends on who you, who you are, where you're from, your upbringing. But these were Gaelic people who lived mainly in the north central region of the area known as Asia Minor or Asia. And today, if you look at a map, that area is actually known as modern day Turkey now. But Paul visited these churches and these were the people that Paul visited. These were the people that Paul began to share the gospel with. Now, it's funny, when you study it out, these Galatian people, these Gallic people, they were finicky people. If you read and study the Word of God, and in one instance, they actually wanted to make Paul a god, of course, little letter G. And on another instance, they actually wanted to stone Paul. They Remember how they tried to stone him? They left him for dead, and the Bible says that Paul was laying there in the rubble, and Paul got up and went back into town, and went right back into the town where uh, the people came from that stoned him to death. And so we find here that these people were, were like many today, very finicky people, and Paul says that they were, they were a foolish people. Now notice that as you study this book, these Galatians were were people that were not content, and this sounds odd, they weren't content with the grace of God, what they wanted to do, and this is why God had Paul write this, they wanted to confuse grace with works. 
Now, maybe you've had some discussions with people in your Christian life, but I'm going to tell you that most religions of the world today are religions that are based on a system of works. You have to do this, you have to do that in order to be saved, or some say you have to do this, have to do that to keep your salvation. Now, remember, every time you find this matter of salvation in the Bible, it is in the sense of God is the one doing the acting, not us. We are being acted upon. We cannot save ourselves. That's why Jesus came. He died for our sins. And look, if we add anything to what Jesus did for us, then we are making Jesus' death of none effect. In other words, it wasn't enough to save us. Now, we know that Jesus paid it all, right? We don't have to add anything to what Jesus did. And this is what Paul was writing here because these people were not just content with the grace of God. They wanted to add something to that. We're going to talk about what that was that they were trying to add to it. They were confusing grace with works. Now, Paul said that they were foolish because they wanted to, here it was, they wanted to mingle law with faith as the ground for justification. So let's just stop there for a minute. The Bible says, for by grace are ye saved through faith. Notice it doesn't add anything to that. It's, it says, as you think about that, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, which that those two verses are actually in the next book we're going to look at tonight, the book of Ephesians. So when we look at this, what they wanted to do was they wanted to take faith, but they, they also wanted to throw in the pot the law along with it. Now, it says here that they, they said that this would be the ground or the reason somebody could be justified or saved is because of the law and faith. Notice also that he said they were foolish because they insisted that a justified or a saved believer was made perfect by keeping the law. Now, take that handout and hold your place there. There's no slide for this, but take that handout that I gave you. I want you to look at the front side of it where it says the book of Galatians. Everybody look at that. At home, hopefully you have that. I want you to look at it with us. And I want you to just notice here the contrast between grace and law. Let's look at this here. Notice as we look at the law. The law prohibits, but notice what grace does. Grace invites and actually gives. The law condemns the sinner, but grace redeems the sinner. The law says, do. Remember, system of works. But notice, grace says, it is done. What did Jesus say when he was on the cross? It is finished. We don't have to add anything to it. Notice as we move on. The law curses, but grace blesses. The law uh, slays the sinner, but grace makes the sinner alive. The law shuts every mouth before God, but grace opens the mouth to praise God. The law condemns the best of men, but grace saves the worst. Hey, listen, Paul's testimony time and time again, I'm the chiefest of sinners, but it's because of the grace of God that Paul was saved. Notice the law says, pay what you owe, but grace says, I freely forgive you all. Boy, aren't you glad that the Lord doesn't we don't have to pay. You know what we deserve? We deserve hell. But grace says, 
I freely forgive you of all your sins. The law says the wages of sin is death, but aren't you glad for the rest of Romans 6, 23, but the gift of God is eternal life. The law says the soul that sins shall die, but grace says believe and live. Uh, the, the law reveals sin. Grace atones for sin. By the law is the knowledge. Hey, listen, the, understand that, that when you're driving down the road and you see a speed limit sign, that law shows you, tells you that it's 40 miles an hour on this road or 55 miles an hour on this road. So the law is the knowledge of sin, but notice by grace is the redemption from sin. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth, hey, it did not come by Moses. It came by Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The law demands obedience. Grace bestows and gives power to obey. Power to obey. The law was written on stone. How about this? Grace is written on the tables of our hearts. That's where God's grace is. The law was done away in Christ. Grace abides forever. Hey, remember what the Bible says all the way back over in the book of Genesis chapter 5? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What a beautiful picture there. And notice here that, that as we think about this, the law puts us under bondage. Grace sets us uh, in the liberty of the sons of God. Grace sets us free. Now listen, not free to do whatever we want, not free to sin, that we have liberty in Christ. And what a contrast that we see here when it comes to this matter of law and grace. Now, now as you look on in your notes tonight, notice the occasion of writing this book, the book to the churches in Galatia. All right, here we go. Judaizing teachers. Now, when I use that word Judaizers, it means people who believe that you have to keep the law. It was a system of works. You have to do this. You have to do that. So those teachers that were saying that you have to keep this law, you have to do this, they followed Paul as he was traveling around in Galatia. And as they followed him around, the Bible records that they opposed the doctrines that Paul was teaching and preaching. Now remember, Paul was preaching the gospel. He was preaching the word of God. So that, listen, they might have been opposing Paul, but they were opposing the word of God. And it says here that, that as they were opposing his doctrine, respecting the non-use of the ceremonial law by the Gentile converts, and also they called Paul's authority, his apostolic authority, into question. So here it was. Remember, they were saying you have to keep all the laws. Some of those were called ceremonial laws. And Paul wasn't saying to the, the Gentile believers when they got saved, you have to do this that the Jews did uh, in the Old Testament times. Listen, folks, we still we don't practice the killing of bulls and goats in this day and hour that we live in. Why? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. He died for the sins of the world. All those innocent animals that, that their blood was shed was just a type or a picture pointing to the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, would come and give his life so that, listen, that not, not any more animals would have to lose their lives because Jesus' blood would be shed for the sins of the whole world. So Paul is writing here on this occasion. Now notice that these teachers, these Judaizing teachers, they required that all converts should be circumcised and keep the law. Notice a couple of verses here. Galatians 5, 2. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, 
that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Notice Galatians 6 and verse 12. As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. Now, when you go back to that covenant that God established with Abraham in the Old Testament, the right of circumcision, most of us understand what, what when it comes to circumcising a child, it's talking about removing a, a piece of flesh, the foreskin, it, and, and it's talking about removing that. That is a circumcision by hands. But the Bible talks about a circumcision of the heart. In other words, God is saying, I want, I want your fleshly lives to be removed. Not a piece of flesh, but your fleshly lives. Uh, God saved us out of a life of sin, and God, that's the problem with the churches in Galatia. They were, go look, after they got saved, they were going back into a life of sin. And so notice as we see here that this is the occasion that Paul is writing because of the false teachings of these Judaizers. Now look at the contents of the book of Galatians. Galatians establishes the true doctrine of justification by faith and not by works. You cannot be saved by works. Folks, if we could be saved by our works, then Jesus wouldn't have had to go to Calvary. But understand tonight that we are saved by the grace of God, and that is how we are justified by faith. Now, the book exhorts the saints in Galatia and us still today to stand fast in the liberty of Christ. It gives us a true description of these false teachers and their views. And the reason that he gives us this description of these false teachers is so that believers everywhere might beware of them and their principles. Folks, it's this simple. If you hear somebody and they're teaching or preaching something, what you ought to do is take your Bible out and say, now listen, I want to see if that's in the Word of God. If you cannot find it in the Word of God, then they are teaching false doctrine. And it's that simple. Everything ought to line up with the Word of God. And Paul is writing here to help us understand that every time we hear something, we ought to search the Scriptures to see whether those things are so. And here were people that were trying to subvert the people, lead the people astray. So here's the next statement. To counter and to correct the false teaching that living under the Mosaic law or a system of works was a requirement of the Christian faith was another reason that God gave Paul these words to write that we now call the book of Galatians. And so we, as we study it, it helps us to understand, okay, there are some false teachings. Again, I, I don't think I can say it enough tonight that, that most of the religions of the world today are built on a system of works. You have to pray the rosary. You have to kneel and go up steps. You have to, you have to be baptized. Folks, listen, the thief on the cross was never baptized, and Jesus said, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Being baptized, going through a baptismal pool will not guarantee that you will go to heaven. Now, there's a reason for it, and this isn't the time we won't get into that, but understand that we need to understand false teaching and this matter of living under the Mosaic law as a requirement for salvation is false teaching, and we need to get that. The book of Galatians for the Christian 
it many times is referred to by theologians as the Magna Carta of the Christian or the Declaration of Independence. Now, uh, the Magna Carta basically is just a, uh, a charter of freedom is what, what it is. Just like for the United States of America, we have, we have the Declaration of our Independence and it, it, this is the way it is when it comes to salvation for the Christian. Now, this book of Galatians has helped many that have struggled in their life. It's helped to free many Christians from various forms of externalism. A lot of times people come to our church and they say, well, I was taught that I have to do this and I have to uh, give this or whatever it might be. So understand that this book has helped so many people. Notice here, here's a great example of this. This book, Galatians, was Martin Luther's favorite epistle that he went to that helped him. It provided inspiration for him to be free from Romanism. When Luther was studying to be a priest for the Catholic Church and he was reading the Word of God, he came across the book of Galatians and Paul and Luther began to read Paul's writings here about how that, listen, it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, and this book helped Luther, who we know uh, started what's known as the Protestant Reformation, where he came out of the Catholic Church and began to, to realize that it was by grace alone as far as salvation is concerned. Now, the character of the book, it's a doctrinal book. If this is a book that, honestly, you need to really study it, sink your teeth into it, because it is a book rich in doctrine. The subject of the book of Galatians is the gospel as the power of the life of the believer. We need to understand how important this book is uh, to the believer. It's the power for the life of the believer. Now, the purpose of the book of Galatians is that faith and faith alone, that's the conclusion Luther came to. Faith and faith alone is the only grounds for justification and godly living. Look at the, this verse here, great verse in Galatians 2.16. Put your eyes on this verse, look at it. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified, here it is again, by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. And here it is again, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. In one verse, three times, God allows Paul to write the words that we need to understand that we are not justified by keeping the law, by the works of the law, that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And this, look, there, that's a great verse. If you know someone that's struggling with, hey, I have to do this, I, look, even our church attendance, uh, understand that just being in church doesn't mean you're going to heaven someday. Uh, just, just because you're, you're, your grandma and grandpa, your grandpa was a Baptist pastor, doesn't mean you're going to go to heaven someday. All of us must come to, to Christ by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in Him and Him alone. That's the conclusion Luther came to. Notice this simple outline. And I like to keep them simple, but notice five parts. It, it, like the book of Ephesians, we'll look at in a minute, it starts with an introduction and it has a conclusion. And in the middle is where you find all the meat. Now remember, if you were going to write a letter, which that's what this is, you would begin with some sort of introduction and you would finish it with a conclusion. But look at the, as we look at these three sections, notice the first one there, chapter one, chapter two, is the personal section. This is where, remember, they were calling Paul's apostleship into question. 
And so Paul deals with his authority that was given to him by God. And he also talks about the gospel and the glory of the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he talks about that, and it's a personal matter to the Apostle Paul. Then he moves into the doctrinal section. Notice this is part of chapter 2 all the way through the end of chapter 4. And when he gets into the doctrine, the meat of this book, he talks about this matter of justification, being saved by faith. So notice these two areas. He deals with faith versus works, and he also deals with liberty versus bondage. Folks, look, we were enslaved to sin. Why in the world? Remember the children of Israel when God led them out of Egypt's land? And we just talked about this on Sunday morning, that they told, they told Moses, hey, listen, you brought us out of here to die in the wilderness? We had it so good back in Egypt. Really? Then why'd you ever leave? <laughs> So I think about people that get saved. Folks, why go back into a life of sin? God has set you free. And that's what he deals with here in the doctrinal section. Then notice the third section there is the practical side of the book of Galatians. And here he moves from justification to sanctification. Now remember, we can only be saved one time. See, once we're saved, then, then at that moment that we are saved, begins this process, we call it sanctification, that, that as we understand, we cannot lose our salvation, but we ought to be growing in our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, who helps us in our sanctification? The Holy Spirit of God. Aren't you glad for the ministry of the Spirit of God in your life? And so the, the Spirit of God helps us. So here he deals with the Spirit versus the flesh. Hey, look, we're not in that book tonight, but remember, go back to Romans chapter 7, remember how Paul talked about, listen, the great apostle talked about the things that I should do, those are the things that I'm not doing, you know. Paul struggled from time to time in the flesh, and we all do from time to time, and he deals with that there practically, and then he deals with liberty versus bondage also in this practical section. So there's a simple outline, hopefully that'll help you, just six chapters I hope you read the book of Galatians. I read it again today, and it was a help to me just preparing my mind and my heart for tonight. Notice the writer, of course, the Apostle Paul, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Where and when was it written? Well, it is a little bit uncertain. I'm not going to go to seed on this. You might feel a little strong about something, but probably was written from the, the city of Corinth. Paul's second visit to Galatia was made about 55 AD. So many believe that this epistle was written between his second and his third visit to Galatia. And of course, Paul visited this region on all of his missionary journeys. The key chapter in the book of Galatians, chapter number three, tremendous chapter on justification by faith. And we've been kind of hitting that nail on the head. Here's a great verse, uh, Galatians 3.11, that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. That, by the way, that phrase is written three times in the word of God. Two other books bear that little statement there, the just shall live by faith. The key verse is chapter 2, verse 16. We already read this verse Tremendous verse there again that we are not justified by the works of the law. And so understand tonight, justification is by faith. The key word, I hope you caught it, it's liberty. We've said it quite a few times tonight. 
Galatians 2 verse 4, because of the false brethren unaware brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. Hey folks, look, that's one of the responsibilities God's given me, and I take it very seriously. As the pastor, the under-shepherd of this church, I always, always try to have my spiritual radar on that if somebody's going to come into our church, into this flock with false teaching, one of the responsibilities God's given to me is to make sure that, that I, I stop that, that I correct that. Why? Because I don't want that to spread among God's people. And I hope you understand that. By the way, if you ever hear somebody that comes in, but we want to welcome anyone and everyone. And we understand that people are taught things and they're taught erroneous things and they believe those things that are lies. They believe them to be true. If you ever hear somebody, listen, be kind to them, but say, listen, I heard what you were saying, but can I show you in the Bible what the Bible says about that? And again, if you remember chapter 2 and verse number 16, if somebody talks about that you have to do this, you have to do that, just, just take your Bible, be kind about it, and say, look, let me show you what it says here in Galatians chapter 2 in verse number 16, because it's not by the works of the law that we're saved, it's by the death of Jesus Christ, his shed blood. And listen, you can be a help to your pastor and to this church. We want to make sure that there's no teachings that are being taught here in this church that are not found in the Word of God. So the Bible tells us there in Galatians 2 and verse number 4, there's going to be, from time to time, people that are going to try to come in and they're going to try to bring us back into bondage as we see in the book of Galatians, those struggling. Notice chapter 5, verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. And here's what he says, kind of a warning. He says, use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh but by love serve one another. So look, God hasn't saved us and set us free so we can just do whatever we want. We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day and give an account of the life that we've lived. And so let's remember that so we have liberty. The key phrase follows that pattern. Stand fast in the liberty that we have wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. God says, look, you came out of that don't go back into it. And that's what the instruction to those in uh, Galatia was. The key thought is we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. Redeemed from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law. Notice the law didn't set us free. Christ set us free. And notice he was actually made a curse for us because he died on the cross. The Bible says, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The spiritual thought, again, following suit. Christ Come to Christ, why? Because he is our liberty. He gives us liberty and he is seen in the book of Galatians as our liberator. He's the one that sets us free. Galatians 1.4, he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. Aren't you glad that Jesus set us free? And then notice Galatians 5.1, stand fast therefore in that liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And again, not being entangled with the uh, yoke of bondage. So great book there, the book of Galatians. And listen, there's so much more I could say, but I hope you caught uh, the gist of what we are talking about tonight. Now look at the other book tonight, the book of Ephesians. And uh, this epistle, we, we call it the book of who we are in Christ. The who we are in Christ. 
And uh, now it's interesting, when you look at this book, of course it begins like others, uh, epistles, it derives its name from those at Ephesus. Now it doesn't say those foolish people at Ephesus, that's not the, the heart of this particular uh, letter that Paul was writing. Notice chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints, notice this one, which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Jesus Christ. So he's writing to the believers that are at Ephesus. Ephesus, of course, was the capital of the province of Asia. It was a very rich in commerce, industry. It was a port that uh, a lot of uh, trade passed through from the Orient. And uh, what's, what's interesting, though, with all the activity, it was the chief seat of the worship of Diana. And, of course, the goddess of the Ephesians, she's also known as Artemis. And uh, she was uh, her famous temple. I think we've got a picture of that temple that she was famous for. Uh, put, that, put that map back up there, Brother Greg. So, so I want you to see this. Again, just trying to get you familiar. If you can see there in the port area there, if you notice Ephesus there, that this is, of course, a lot of activity, even Paul's travels, this port where they would come through. And, of course, we've already looked at, at Galatia, the area known as Galatia. This particular one is to the saints, which are at Ephesus. And so, again, uh, this was an area where uh, the temple of Diana, she was considered the queen of heaven. And what she stood for to those people in Ephesus was she stood for fertility, virginity, and protection of childbearing. If you go back to the book of Acts, notice that the Bible says in Acts 19, so that not only this, our craft, remember there were people that were following Paul as he was traveling around preaching the gospel. In this instant, there was someone that was following Paul, and it says not only this, our craft, or or what we were doing with our lives was in danger to be set at naught. And the reason that their craft was in danger to not be making money off of people was because Paul was preaching the gospel and the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. People were getting saved. They didn't need those idols. They didn't need Diana anymore. And look what it says as we read on. It says, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised. In other words, people don't need Diana anymore because they have the one true God and her magnificence should be destroyed. Whom Look at these words, all Asia and the world worship it. Now the world was a smaller place. It was the same big ball that it is today, but, it, but listen, there hadn't been a lot of exploration. People hadn't populated the whole earth yet, but, but it was centralized in this area. And this particular time, everyone was worshiping Diana, and it says, and when they heard these sayings, they were these people that were after Paul, they were full of wrath because he was preaching, and they cried out, listen to what they said, great is Diana of the Ephesians. So listen, this, this goddess was highly worshipped, everybody was worshipping her, and this is, this is part of what Paul was dealing with as he's traveling through uh, there in Ephesus trying to preach the gospel. Now the membership of those that were saved in the church at Ephesus consisted mostly of Gentiles. There were some Jews in the church, and Paul, as he preached, God gave him great success. And when I say that, I mean that people were being saved uh, in and around Ephesus. And because people were being saved and the gospel was going forth, notice this, 
that heathenism was shaken to its foundation. All these people that were steeped in idolatry, worshiping Diana and all the false gods, that, listen, it really took a bite out of that. And because all those people, like those we just read about, that were not happy with Paul's preaching the gospel, they began to oppose the spread of the gospel. And the Bible records that because of the opposition, Paul left Ephesus because of the opposition. Now, notice in 1 Corinthians 16, in verse 8 and 9, Paul writes to those in Corinth, and he says, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, the Feast of Pentecost. And here's what he says, For a great door and effectual is open unto me. But notice, and there are many adversaries. Paul was saying, boy, there's a lot of people here that are not happy that I'm preaching in Ephesus. He says there are many adversaries. By the way, the more we preach the gospel, the more uh, anti-God this world will become, but we need to continue to do as Paul did in his day. Notice the occasion of writing to those in Ephesus. Here's, here's the thought. Unlike all the other uh, areas and churches and Christians that Paul wrote to, Ephesians does not really have a clear-cut purpose. Now, we just talked about there was a real purpose that Paul wrote to the, to the churches in Galatia was because of the false teaching of the Judaizers. But there's no real clear-cut reason. Now, let me give you a couple thoughts. First of all, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, is not in response to any issue. But really, it's rather an opportunity for Paul to encourage and uplift his brothers and sisters in Christ. Aren't you glad from time to time somebody came in tonight and said, Pastor, thank you for the letter. Hey, listen, I just wanted to be a blessing. I just wanted to be an encouragement. That's what, as, and remember, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. So even though Paul's writing to those in Ephesus, it was really God saying, Paul, I want you to encourage these people that are dealing with all these false teachers and dealing with the goddess Diana and so on. So that was one of the reasons to uplift his brothers and sisters in Christ. Now notice, also, it was highly possible that the book of Ephesians was written primarily to ex-pagan Christians, people that used to be steeped in idolatry, and these people needed to be taught why and how to live for Christ. Now, you, look, when somebody at our church gets saved, what we want to do is we want to disciple them. We want to teach them because they're a, a babe in Christ. We want to teach them why you should live for Christ now that you are saved and how the Bible says we ought to live as Christians. And that's what Paul was doing, instructing these people. And notice he also wrote it possibly to Jewish Christians because remember the prejudice that Jews had to people that were not Jews. And so he was trying to explain to them God's inclusion of the Gentiles into the family of faith. Look, Jews that did not understand this, Peter, remember the whole vision in the book of Acts and Peter said, saw this sheet let down three times and God says, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Remember what Peter's answer was? Not so, Lord, I've never eaten anything that's common or unclean. Peter was suffering under the burden of prejudice and he struggled with that. By the way, you, right here in, in the book of Galatians, Peter was struggling. Paul withstood Peter to the face because Peter was with Gentiles, but when Jews came, Peter separated himself from them. Well, I don't want, to, I don't want them to, those Jews to see me with the Gentiles. And Paul had to get into his face and say, hey, look, God is not a respecter of persons. And here's what we see is 
that, that Paul is writing, God's giving Paul the, this letter to help those Jewish Christians to understand that God is including all peoples, not just Jews, but Gentiles, into the family of God. Notice in this book, Ephesians chapter 3, two verses, verse 3, verse 9, how that by the revelation that he made known unto me, now what did, what did God make known unto Paul? The mystery. Now, let me explain to you. What you find in the New Testament that you don't find in the Old Testament is the church. Jesus came and he established the church. The Bible calls the church the mystery. And so what, what uh, today, what is the church about? We are the church of God. We continue to propagate the gospel that Paul did in his day. And listen, we are to reach all people uh, God says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe it. So the church ought to be comprised of Jews and Gentiles. And so that's what we see here in these verses is that God made known unto Paul the mystery. And he says, as I wrote afore in few words, and look at this, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in other words, it wasn't revealed in the Old Testament in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So remember, Jesus in John chapter, uh, not Matthew chapter number 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. And you find that Jesus established the church. He was the testator and the, the, the New Testament church was established in the blood of Jesus Christ. So we find the occasion, it was, look, there was no clear cut purpose like you find, there wasn't some issue going on. He wrote it to encourage the believers and to help the Jews, those that were saved, to understand that Gentiles that were being saved were to be a part of the church of the living God. Now notice the contents. Ephesians covers very important doctrines. Look at some of these that it deals with. The doctrine of grace. It deals with what is known as eternal election. That means that God, listen, uh, God understands uh, God is not willing that any would perish. See, the only reason people don't get saved is because they reject the gift of God. God is not, God is not willing that any would perish. And it teaches about the redemption that we have by Jesus Christ, the peace and pardon by his blood. Look, only the blood. The Bible uses the word propitiation. Only Jesus' blood could have satisfied a just and holy God. The blood of bulls and goats Listen, no other man could have died for the sins of the world. It had to be divine blood, and it was Jesus' blood that was shed for our sins. It also covers the doctrines of the conversion or the salvation by the power of his saving grace. Again, I'm glad for the grace of God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. It covers the salvation by the free grace of God in opposition to works, not, not of works which lest any man should boast. So understand that these are some great doctrines, and you and I, listen, as Christians, we must be grounded in the truth, and then we must walk in that truth. Now take that handout again that, that we looked at on the other side. Look at the one that side that says the book of Ephesians, all right? Now look at this. If you look in the first three chapters, you see the column there, uh, and I want you to see a harmony between the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians and the last three chapters of the book of Ephesians. Because in the first half, you see the root that's given, but in the second half, you see the fruit. You see the spiritual wealth, but then you see the spiritual walk. 
You see the Christian privilege, and then you see the Christian conduct. The position of the believer, but then you see the practice. See what we are in Christ, and then how we should live it out. God sees us in Christ, but in the second half, the world sees Christ in us. You see how uh, we have privilege in the first half, and how we practice it. We have doctrine in the first three chapters, and then our duty to fulfill and live out that doctrine. Notice the doctrinal aspect and the practical side, the revelation that Paul talks about that God gives to him, and then we see the responsibility. Folks, look, God's given. You have a copy of God's Word in your hand tonight, and you have the doctrines of the Word of God. You have a responsibility that what God has given to you, you need to make sure you're living that, that doctrine out in your life. Notice our beliefs and our behavior, the privileges of the believer, the responsibilities, our heritage that we have in Christ and then our life in Christ. Know your resources, the riches we have in Christ. But look at this, live by faith in the light of your resources that you have in Christ. Aren't you glad for the finished work of Christ? And that should result in the faithful walk of the Christian. Our, the work of Christ in us and the work of Christ through us. God has done a work in me and God wants to use you and me in our lives. Notice we are in Christ, and then look at the second half. Christ is in us. Quite a change. Uh, the Word of God and then the walk of the Christian. Have our heavenly standing, but watch this. We're not in heaven yet. So notice we should have an earthly walk. We are in Christ, and then notice whose you are in Christ. Our identity and our responsibility. The position of the believer, the practice of the believer, and then again, getting back to doctrine, theology, and then ethics is how we conduct our lives. What a great harmony that we see from the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians to the last three chapters. All right, well, let's finish this up. Notice the character of the book of Ephesians is its church truth. Great book here to help us understand. Notice the subject deals with the calling, the conduct, and the conflict of the church and this is a, that's why we need truth. The purpose of the book of Ephesians within this epistle is the discipline needed to develop into true children of God. Look at these couple of verses in Ephesians 1, and he sets the tone right in the first chapter. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you, watch this, what's he going to give us? The spirit of wisdom and knowledge the revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding. Well, where do we get that understanding? From his wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of him, that our, our understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us word who believe according to the working of his mighty power. Hey, listen, I am so glad for how the Bible teaches us the discipline that we need to develop in our lives to be true children of God. Now, notice Ephesians will help us to fortify and establish us as believers so we can fulfill the purpose and the calling of God for our lives. The aim of this book is to confirm and to equip a maturing church. Look, folks, God is equipping us. God is giving us what we need. We think about those spiritual gifts that the Lord gives to us. Those are pneumatikos. They come from God's Holy Spirit. 
he not only equips us, but listen, he wants us to use them to edify the body and to use them for the church. Notice the simple outline. Just like in the book of Galatians, there's an introduction by Paul, a conclusion. But notice in between this particular introduction and conclusion is the wealth of the Christian, all that we have because of what God has done. Then it goes to the walk, how we should conduct our lives. And then watch this. If you know chapter 6, it deals with the warfare. Remember how it talks about the put on the whole armor of God. Why? Because the devil's after us. If you're going to, to be in Christ and you're going to try to live for the Lord and walk as a Christian, the devil's going to fight. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. The writer is Paul. And here in Ephesians, he calls himself the prisoner of the Lord. He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation or the calling wherewith you have been called. And so when and where did Paul write this? Probably around 62 AD. And here's, here's the thing is, Paul wrote this from a Roman prison. Look at these couple verses here in Ephesians 3, verse 1. He says, for this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. Paul says, I am where I am, and I'm doing what I am for the Lord, and I'm doing it for you. In chapter 6, in verse 20, he calls himself an ambassador in bonds. That means that he was a prisoner. Now, this goes back to Acts. The, remember how Paul made an appeal that he wanted to be heard because he was falsely treated, and he says, I want to go to Rome. By the way, that wasn't just Paul's uh, pride saying that. That was God because God told Paul, he says, you will make it to Rome. And so here in the last chapter of the book of Acts, chapter 28, verse 16 and 30, look at this. When we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. So he's, he's in prison. They call it house arrest. Paul had a, a soldier that was guarding him. And notice Paul dwelt there, verse 30, two whole years in his own hired house. And the wonderful thing is, is though even though he was in prison, the Bible says that he received all that came into him. Came into him, unto him. So that means that Paul was able to share the Bible and talk to them about the Word of God and to, to witness to them and to even lead people to Christ. And so as Paul is there in this prison, notice that this is the first of four of what are called the prison epistles. Now we're going to cover two more of these the next time we, we get together for Route 66, but I want you to look up here. I don't know if you've ever heard talk about this, but think about this. Paul's in prison. He's not sitting around going, woe is me. No, no, what Paul's doing is he's receiving word from God and he's writing four of these we call books in our Bible. Tonight we're looking at Ephesians. Notice there's Philippians and then Colossians, the next two books in our New Testament. Those are also prison epistles. And then that little bitty uh, letter known as Philemon, that also is one of the prison epistles. So all four of these were while Paul was in this Roman prison. And this is the first of them. Now, the key chapter is chapter 1, dealing with a believer, the believer in Christ. The key verse is in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us, look at this, with all spiritual blessings 
in heavenly places in Christ. Now think about that. Next time you feel like God doesn't love you or God doesn't know where you're at and, and you think, woe is me, God doesn't care about me, look at that verse. We are blessed, we should be happy. Why? Because God has already blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Listen, he doesn't say on this earth, he says in heavenly places in Christ. Listen, only heaven's going to tell what God has in store for us. And we see that there in the key verse. The key word is the word fullness. In other words, what we have because of the Lord. And I love this. <clears throat> you think about we serve a triune God. So you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When you look at, you think about the Trinity, uh, the Godhead, you also see this in the book of Ephesians when it comes to all three persons. Notice, first of all, the fullness of God in Ephesians 3.19. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all fullness of God. Notice the second person of the Godhead, chapter 4, verse 13. Till we all come into the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God the Father, God the Son, and then notice the third person of the Godhead, Ephesians 5, 18. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled or be full of the Spirit of God. So this fullness runs even through all three persons of the Godhead. Notice the key phrase is in Christ. We are in Christ in the heavenlies. Ephesians 2, 6, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hey folks, look, we might be in this world, but God views us that we're already seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. The key thought is our blessings in Christ in the heavenlies. I read that earlier, how blessed we are already. Our spiritual thought, we need to come to Christ for fullness of life. Look, folks, sometimes we make a mess out of our lives, but I'll tell you this. When you received Christ, he made your life full. Everything we have, anything of worth, eternal value is all because of the Lord's working in our lives. And I love this thought. How is he seen in the book of Ephesians? He is seen as the head of the church. What does the Bible call us? We're the body. The church is the body of Christ, but Christ is the head. And look, your pastor, I love being your pastor, but I'm not the head of the church. This isn't my church. And the Bible says in two places in Ephesians, notice chapter 1, verse 22, that God hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. That's why we always study the scriptures and we always follow the word of God because this is not our church. This is the church of the living God. And then also Ephesians chapter 5, that great passage that sometimes we use on a wedding occasion. But notice it, the analogy there is for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Again, look, we cannot save ourselves. The Lord is our deliverer, all right? And so when we look at these uh, two books in our Bible, boy, you talk about six chapters for each one of them, but how rich both of them are. Now, again, the, the purpose, totally different. Uh, the, the occasion, totally different. But again, both of them are so beneficial and help us in so many ways. The next time we get together, we're going to cover those next two books, Philippians 
and Colossians. Now, listen, if you struggle sometimes reading, each one of those are only four chapters each. And so really, honestly, you just read maybe a chapter, a little over a chapter a day. You'll get through those in a week's time. But I hope that you, you got something tonight. Hopefully it didn't go so fast that you couldn't keep up with me. The guys did a great job keeping up. But we're going to continue traveling down Route 66 and just gathering as much information as we can from the Word of God. So don't forget now on Sunday, the services, 9.30 Sunday school hour. Looking forward to that. And, and so if you have an offering tonight and you came prepared, you can leave that on the way out.